December. It is just Wallace today on the mic. We are missing Michelle as she is out on her maternity leave, raising a beautiful, beautiful bib. And if you're new here, welcome. This is a great episode to tune in to because this is a little two-part series that we're doing this week and next week called Holiday Survival Kit. So we thought we would come to you with our most shared and most downloaded episodes. This time of year is complicated. It's on the one hand filled with hopefully rest, rejuvenation, family, but on the other hand, it's an extremely busy time for many businesses, many entrepreneurs, and even just with family obligations, friends, sometimes it can get a little stressful. Sometimes you can feel a little burnt out just before you're about to take a break. So we're calling this series Survival Kit because next week we have a wonderful guest by the name of Kelly Ann on to talk about burnout. So definitely don't miss that episode. That will be next week on the feed. And today is a mashup episode of our most downloaded and shared episodes from 2022. So we're going back to the beginning of last year, one of our top downloaded episodes called Note to Self, I Will Create, Not Procrastinate. A lot of what Michelle talks about in this episode is extremely evergreen, as are most of these episodes. Episode. So I think you are really, really going to enjoy them. Following that episode, we're going to have a snippet from Squiggly Brains, Money and the B Word. Following that, monetizing everything is killing you and your business. Number four is using deep work and human design to find your flow state. And we finish off with a clip from Extend Your Intuitive Mind and Overcome Procrastination. So... We will have all of that linked in the show notes if you want to check out any of those episodes and revisit them afterwards. And this is a great episode, so I'm just going to let you get right into it. We hope you enjoy this wonderful mashup of our most shared and most downloaded episodes, and we will see you next week. The reason that Monday R1 works is because of the philosophy underneath it or the concepts underneath it. If you don't have the concepts, this turns into another shitty productivity tool. And we are not doing that. We are not doing shitty productivity tools. So three concepts that I need you to understand, or at least like be able to on a pop quiz, you'd be like, yeah, kind of familiar with that one that you got to know before you start applying Monday R1. The first one, your productivity does not equate your value. So capitalism loves to tell us that we are as valuable as how productive we are because that's literally how capitalism works, right? You are more valuable to the company you work for if you can make more things and the company can make more money based off your output, right? So you're technically more valuable because you bring in more money to the company. But that is not right. That is a cognitive distortion. Your innate value as a human being has nothing to do with your ability to cross things off a checklist. Just a healthy reminder. You are so valuable that you are invaluable. We can't even put a price on you innately. Whether you are checking off all the to-do lists or you are blobbing on the couch, you are invaluable, okay? Let's just put that idea in a little pot. Let's put it on the back burner. Let's let it simmer for a while as we talk about this other stuff. Okay, let me turn your attention to another concept. Procrastination. As a CEO of procrastination, these... Two things I'm about to tell you really hurt my feelings, but they also are correct. They resonate. Procrastination is two things. Well, first off, procrastination is not a sign of laziness. Procrastination, number one, is a form of perfectionism. 
Number two, procrastination is a form of self-harm. Let's discuss. If you are a perfectionist, I'm raising my hand right now, perfectly, by the way. If you're a perfectionist, this will sound familiar to you. I would rather not do it than not do it perfectly. Because as perfectionists, if we sit down to paint something for the first time and it doesn't look like it's Van Gogh's most amazing masterpiece, because if we sit down to a piano and we don't automatically sound like Mozart incarnate, because if we start a business and it isn't immediately profitable and the biggest success and it hits us on the Forbes 30 under 30 list, we would rather not do the thing. Like we'd rather not even try if we're not going to be amazing at it. And that's really toxic for our growth as human beings, right? Because we have to fail at things in order to be successful at them. Like we just do. That's It's called practice. And perfectionism will get in the way of you going out and making things and learning about yourself and helping and changing the world 100% of the time because you're never going to be perfect and you're never going to do it right. You just aren't, babe. You aren't. You're going to mess up the whole time. That's like being human. And guess what? You're still lovable. You're still enough. You're still valuable. We learned as perfectionists that we are not acceptable and we're not lovable unless we are perfect or unless we are like so unoffensive that someone can't find a reason not to love us, right? If I'm just so perfect and there's nothing wrong with me, how could someone like say that they don't love me? Because there's no reason for them to say that. The truth is like you're lovable because of all of your messy middleness, because of all your failures, because of all your mess ups, because of all your weirdness, you are lovable. So procrastination is a form of perfectionism. And every time you feel yourself beginning to procrastinate on something, shine a light on it and say, is this my perfectionism talking? And can that bitch please sit down? <laughs> Just kidding. You can be nice to your inner perfectionist. Okay. Concept number two, procrastination is a form of self-harm. This is very tender to me because I was and still can be someone who really harms themselves with their actions and with their thoughts. We're all struggling with this concept, right? Not we all. I don't want to put that on you. I struggle with this concept. I'll speak from the eye. Procrastination is a form of self-harm because think about what happens when you procrastinate. When you put off paying that ticket, that parking ticket, right, that you can totally afford, gives you anxiety, you think about it. You think about the fact that you need to pay the ticket and that the longer that you wait to pay the ticket, the more you're going to have to pay to pay the ticket. And then what if you get pulled over when you're driving on the highway and the cop sees that you haven't paid the ticket and then they take you to jail, right? <laughs> that's crazy, but also that's kind of what happens in my brain. So I'm assuming that's what happens in other people's brains. This is harm because this anxiety is something that we are directly in control of and that we could very easily get rid of if we just paid the parking ticket, right? It's not that we don't have the money. It's not that like we can't find a fucking stamp or we don't have internet. It's that we just didn't do it, that we stayed, we chose the anxiety. And, you know, you're going to have to unpack this for yourself. But I noticed for me, sometimes it's easier to feel pain than it is to feel pleasure or to feel joy or to feel rest or to feel love. And in order to feel something, to distract myself, I will sometimes choose the pain, right? I'll choose the harm. And I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to perpetuate that. So every time you procrastinate, take a look and see if that's your perfectionist or that's you trying to put yourself in harm. And it might not be that, right? It might be that you're like, well, today I'm just feeling a little lazy, so I'm going to push it off, right? And that's totally fine. But notice that because 
this whole system works on you being accountable for yourself and you thinking of your schedule as a self-loving practice. And the opposite of the self-loving practice would be procrastination, especially if it is a form of perfectionism or a form of self-harm. And the way that Monday Hour One can really work is when you hold yourself in high regard and you say, I have created this schedule or I have created this week for myself out of love and out of the idea that I want to thrive and I want to set myself up to feel good. And I don't want myself to have anxiety or to feel less than or to be overwhelmed because I'm not at my best. My magic doesn't flow as quickly when I'm putting myself in that situation. Finally, the concept that you need to understand is that we control time and that time is just this delusion that we like all are collectively in agreement on. We're like, oh yeah, minutes, hours, days, right? <laughs> like, no, no, come on. A minute is not 60 seconds. Think about like when you've really had to go to the bathroom and like you had to wait, you had to wait outside like a bathroom stall because it was all full or you're like waiting on the airplane for someone to leave and you're like, oh my God, it must have been a hundred hours and it's only been like 40 five seconds, right? Time expands and contracts according to our relationship to it and how much attention we give it. So that being said, there's this thing called Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law states that a task will expand or contract according to the amount of time that we allot for it. So if I give myself two hours to fold the laundry, it'll take me two hours to fold the laundry. If I give myself two weeks to fold the laundry, it will take me two fucking weeks. I will wait until that last moment to fold the laundry, right? Same thing with our work. If we give ourselves three days to write a blog post, it'll probably take three days and we'll finish that blog post at midnight on the day that we said we wanted to finish it. If I give myself three hours, you better believe that it's done in three hours. I've never written 500 words so fast. Am I right? So this is all to say that we can control time. We are magicians. We can control time and space according to how we pay attention to it and how we respect it. And that's a really important component, respecting your time, respecting the concept of time and playing with the concept of time. Very important when it comes to making a Monday hour one work for you. So let's talk about squiggly brains and money beliefs and why people with squiggly brains may not, really intuitive people may have some like maybe extra baggage or even like a meaning making system that's worked for them up until this point, but it is no longer working. And maybe that meaning-making system is, and that, that way they make sense of the world is, I'm really creative, but I'm not good with numbers. Because in their world, being creative means being bad at math or means being bad at numbers. Or maybe I'm not good with numbers, and so I'm not good with money. And so by the transitive property, if I am creative, then I'm bad with money, right? Or... Maybe I have to constantly be working, constantly working hard in order to make money because as someone with a squiggly brain or a highly intuitive person, a very creative person, I tend to like excess. One thing that we do know about squiggly brains and in particular people with ADHD is that their dopamine and norepinephrine levels need to be in excess in order to feel focused. So dopamine is the, the compound that helps you, that's, that is what gets introduced when you have novelty. So it's like, um, it's 
newness. It's like a shiny object, right? And norepinephrine is what basically causes us stress, anxiety, and fear. And the combination of those two things together, having our interest piqued by something that's novel, and also having a little bit of like maybe healthy fear around it or anxiety or being a bit wary of it are the two things that help us focus and get in flow state. If you have ADHD, you need extremely high levels. You're going to search for extremely high levels of both of those things because your receptors are, are off. You need an excessive amount of dopamine and an excessive amount of norepinephrine. So you might tend to put yourself into a very high stress situation or a high stress life or an intense life where you're working really hard all the time in order to focus. And so, of course, it would make sense that you would think, well, in order to make money, I have to be super focused and I need to work really, really, the only way I can get focused is work really, really hard. Or maybe your thought process is, I'm not responsible with money. I spend it as soon as I have it. And I'm just not a responsible person. And, you know, that, that may be true, but maybe it's not about responsibility. Maybe it's actually that you have a squiggly brain and things like bills or deadlines are, are very difficult for you. They're much more difficult for you than they are the average person. And it doesn't mean that you're stupid or lazy or irresponsible. It just means that your brain works differently. And so in order for those things to actually for you to pay attention to them, your norepinephrine has to be super high. So instead of paying the bill on time, when you have the money to pay it, you let the bill go to collections when it goes up, you know, double. God, I've done this so many times when like the bill doubles and you're like, fuck, <laughs> I could have paid it before. Like, why didn't I just pay it? What's wrong with me? And it's only when you like wake up in the middle of the night, you know, like with an anxiety dream where you're like, fuck, I need to do that thing. Right. And that's what finally gets you motivated into action. And that's the thing about squiggly brained people. We need excessive amounts of stimulation um, to, in order to really get into action, be, be moved because we are constantly understimulated. Ugh, it's a lot, right? And all of these things, these are just like some perspectives we might have around our squiggly brains or with our squiggly brains when it comes to money. And I think it can make you feel like you're stupid and you're not cut out to ever be able to hold wealth or that wealth is is really bad and that only bad people make money or only boring people have money <laughs> or people who, who make money are like super, super smart. They're way smarter than me. And all those things are not necessarily true, right? I know plenty of really dumb wealthy people. I know plenty of really interesting wealthy people. I know plenty of people who are not really that responsible, but they're good with money because they hire other people to help them. There's always a new portal to open. There's always a more creative way to do things. There's always a new path to find. And investigating our own beliefs around money that may or may not be true is helpful, right? Because like, it helps us understand who we are and what we're motivated by. But it also helps us see where we could potentially find a new door, where if we made a little bit more space, if we weren't so black and white around our thinking, that we might be able to collapse the timeline. For example, I'm not great with numbers and I'm not good with money. Well, if I wasn't so black and white around that, maybe I could be not great with numbers, but amazing with money. And what would that look like? It wouldn't mean that I have to be able to do like 
you know, advanced calculus in my brain. <laughs> it just means that I have to be able to do like basic addition and subtraction back in the napkin math. And I can still be really good with money. Those two things can be possible. So all this is to be said, what helps a squiggly brain or an intuitive person with money and with our relationship to money? The first thing is understanding those, your extreme nature, right? That dopamine and norepinephrine, the habits that you might get into, especially around spending and paying bills. If you tend to put, put off paying your bills, waiting until the last minute, just knowing that about yourself instead of saying, oh, I'm such a lazy piece of shit, or I'm so stupid, or I can't believe I, I keep doing this. It's so embarrassing. Like that's not helpful. <laughs> being like an asshole to yourself clearly isn't useful. It doesn't help you get motivated because if it did, you would do it, but it doesn't, it doesn't work. Right. So like, don't use that strategy anymore. seems pretty simple. You have to find a new strategy, right? That's what this is all about. Got to find that third door. Maybe if I know that about myself, I can build some systems around me to help make it easier for me to pay those bills on time. And same thing with dopamine, right? If we know that we're looking for lots of stimulation, lots of attention, lots of novelty in order to keep our focus, then it makes sense that we might want to constantly be online shopping because we are looking for stimulation everywhere we could get it. And great. It also feels really good when you go to buy something, right? Or maybe even floods you with both those things, dopamine and anxiety, because you know you don't have that much money, but hmm. Adding that thing to cart is so fun. And sometimes just being able to see that for ourselves and see the pattern before we even make the spend, before we make the purchase, can help just reset ourselves, reset us, and even reset us somatically to, you know, what's going on in our bodies. And figure out before we make a decision that makes us feel even worse, like buying something that's way out of our budget or, you know, binging on a bunch of, you know, Amazon purchases that were we don't really need. Just taking that moment to, to notice that dopamine or norepinephrine sort of like outreach can be really useful. We're taking a quick pause to talk about Open, one of our sponsors. Open is a mindfulness app built to transform your life. And boy, oh boy, can I just say Open has made the last eight months of my life a lot easier because I've been pregnant and uh, definitely not going to yoga class, definitely not going to Pilates, definitely not going to any meditation classes just because I have, I've been really sick for most of my pregnancy and then um, very swollen, Shrek feet, SpongeBob feet. It's just not a cute look. And being able to exercise from home at my own pace and my own timing on the open app has been a godsend. And when I don't want to exercise, when I'm having a spiral panic attack about the fact that I'm bringing a human onto this planet in 2020, I can just turn on a meditation and bring myself back to center. It is chef's kiss amazing. I use open to fall asleep. I use open to do many breathwork sessions. And I also love their Pilates. They have the best music curation. They have really amazing guides. We can't say enough positive things about them. And you get to try them free for 30 days, which is an amazing deal because it's such a premium subscription and it's just a beautiful experience through and through. So we will link your 30 days free in the show notes, or you can use code holisticism at open.com backslash holisticism. So don't miss out. Honestly, it couldn't hurt you to try even just one little meditation session. It's about to be a little crazy time of year. 
you might benefit when you're like, I'm sick of my family. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, one month of open alone is less than the cost of a yoga class, a Pilates class or a meditation class. So it's definitely worth it. Or even like two matches. <laughs> if you go to a coffee shop, they're like eight fifty now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you can either get a, a matcha with CBD oil in it once, yeah. or you can you can open every single day of the month. Every day. Honestly, go sign up. With open.com backslash holisticism. So how does this like clock in with what I started this podcast with, which is that you're monetizing way too much stuff and that I guarantee you, if you cut 90% of the things that you're, you've tried to monetize and you focus on just 10%, you will make exponentially more income. You will have so much more money. What does that have to do with this sort of like nonlinear thinking? Actually, quite a bit. For those of us who are nonlinear, maybe you have ADHD like me, or you just identify with having a squiggly brain, you're super creative, you're intuitive. And you're not necessarily, I don't know, the most literal or linear thinker in the world. You probably are in a cycle that's very much influenced by your brain chemistry. And the cycle looks a little bit like this. So you pick up a hobby to relieve, let's say, work stress. And you realize you're pretty good at it because you're good at a lot of stuff, like kind of inexplicably. Anything you pick up, a lot of the things you pick up, you're really good at. And maybe it's because you don't stick with things long enough that you're not good at because they're boring. So it feels like you're good at a lot of things because you only stick with the things that you're really good at. (laughs) I think that's a little bit of what I am. (laughs) If I'm going to be honest with you. Or maybe you're just really a multi-hyphenate. You're multi-talented. You have lots of interests and you're really smart. you got a lot of potential. So you pick up a hobby and you realize you're really good at it, obviously. And you have this lingering sort of like or looming figure in your head of what's in your bank account because it's kind of always stalking you, right? Money is on your mind all the time. It's kind of like dieting. Like when you're counting calories, you're constantly thinking about what is going to be, how am I going to burn calories next? And what's my next intake going to look like? And I think when we're feeling like we don't have enough resource or we're feeling scarcity, that's how money is for us, right? It's like this looming figure that's always in the back of our head or even at the forefront of our minds. And so you, that's it constantly in your head and you realize, you know, you need, you need more cash and maybe even you're constantly thinking about the fact that you need more cash. And you're like, you know what? I'm good at this thing. I'm good at organizing houses. I should monetize this. You know, I could really make a business out of this. I, I could, people could hire me to come and clean out their closets. I could totally do this on the weekends. I could do my normal nine to five job. I could do my blogging at night, you know, from Monday through Thursday. And then I could take all day Saturday and Sunday to just like organize people's houses. That sounds great. Yeah, I'm going to do it. And then obviously you do it. You hyper-focus, you fixate, and you spend a bunch of money basically binging on how to make this thing a business. You buy a URL, you set up the Twitter, you go on Canva, you make yourself 16 different logos, you set up the Instagram, you, you know, you got you got the Squarespace already because you got the URL. So you might as well set up the Gmail account with a special fancy sign-off. You do all the things. Oh, of course, and you're you're a decorator. So you 
or designer and organizer, I should say. So of course you got to go to the container store and you got to pick out all the best containers. You got to get, you got to try a bunch of them, right? You can't just like be going with only the acrylic. You got to check out the bamboo. You got to check out the metal. You're looking at all of your options. Then maybe even, I don't know, you take it to the next level and you're like, I can't just be buying this stuff from container store full price. That's expensive. I got to go wholesale. Where can I get some wholesale versions of these organizers? Because that's definitely what I'm going to need to run this business. <laughs> and you've done all that in like the four hours between when you had the idea, but honestly, between when you organized your own pantry and you're like, I'm fucking good at this and, and realized you wanted to make it a business. All of this has gone through your brain. You've maybe spent hundreds or even thousands of dollars because you're excited, right? And then you launch the thing, or maybe you soft launch it, or maybe you just buy all of the things that you need and you get them delivered to your house a couple of weeks later and you get stressed because I don't know, maybe you didn't think this whole thing through and you didn't realize that if you, you know, you'd have to actually market it to people. And in order to market it to people, you have to come out and say that you do this thing and you have to maybe get pictures and you don't have pictures yet. Oh God. Okay. So maybe you have to do someone's house for free. Okay. And then you can do someone's house for free and then you can get pictures, but how are you going to get a photographer to come? Should you get your own camera? Should you hire a photographer? You don't have the money. Well, maybe, maybe they'll do it for free if you organize their house. Okay, well, how many photographers do I know that I can reach out to? And all of a sudden, this really fun hobby, this thing that you were good at, this thing that brought you joy, this thing that you did while you're just listening to your favorite True Crime podcast, because that's what you do when you organize, is now this thing that is stressful, that's work, that's not making you money, or you're like, fuck, I have to work harder for this thing to make me money. I have to actually focus for this thing to make me money. I'm going to have to market it. It's taking so much more effort than I thought it was going to take. And so, you know, instead of your closet organizing business absolutely taking off overnight and getting booked out, you post a couple of times on Instagram and on Twitter, you send out a couple of DMs, you try even maybe to do a giveaway and then you're like, fucking shit, this is hard you know what? I need to take a break. I'm going to go, I'm going to go do a cool hobby. Maybe, you know what? I'm going to go to a ceramics class. And of course you go to a ceramics class. You love it. You throw, you are making the best, best ashtrays anyone's ever seen. And you know, maybe a few weeks into your ashtray making situation, you're like, you know, I'm really good at this ceramics thing. I could make some really cute, kitschy little, kitschy ashtrays, you know, ashtrays for people that don't smoke. Yeah. That's cute. I like that. Yeah. I could pick you know, I should start to make these. I should take some pictures of these. And then of course you go through the cycle again because you've, my friend, tried to monetize yet another hobby. And this cycle continues for people who have squiggly brains. For many of us, just the idea of pleasure and being with pleasure and returning to something purely because it brings us joy or comfort or even just contentedness isn't enough. It's almost like we forget about it or we're worried we're going to forget about it. And we end up, because of this, we don't trust our brains to hold on to hobbies or making art or doing things that bring us joy. We have to monetize them. We have to make them side hustles or else we will not continue with them. That's what we really believe about ourselves. And that's not actually true. It's just that we need to like build a system to help us, you know, <laughs> do things that are like making art and finding pleasure and being a hedonist and making things just to make them. 
And we also need to like sort of unfuck our brains and take ourselves out of like the scam that is capitalism all the time, which tells us that everything that we can sort of extract value from, we should. That is so capitalist, right? But that's what you're doing when you're trying to monetize every single thing in your life. You don't need to do that. And in fact, if you want to be capitalism critical, if you want to be anti-capitalist, so many people want to be that now, then you really shouldn't try to extract value from every single thing that you do. You should make art just to make art. Or let me take out the should. Should kill, should has killed more dreams than anything else. Should has killed more dreams than any no ever has. You can make art just to make art. You can, in fact, spend a whole day doing nothing that makes you money and not feel guilty about it. You actually deserve that. And when we try to monetize every single thing we do, like these hobbies that really bring us joy, that help us self-actualize, that help us work through concepts, ideas, our identity, right? Which inevitably, when we work through our identity, when we know ourselves, when we self-actualize, we become so much more powerful, potent, and magnetic in the thing that we do monetize. Even if you're not a quote-unquote creative person or you're not an entrepreneur, if you're someone who is like honestly doing personal development or self-actualizing, then you need, you need some deep work in your life. And you might be tapping into it in moments like when you're on an airplane and like there's nothing to do but journal or think or read. That's flow state. Deep mm -hmm. work is the opportunity to get into flow state. And it takes more than an hour to get into flow state. It's mm -hmm. the option to focus on one concept and one concept alone for an extended period of time. Mm -hmm. yeah. So you don't have to worry about feeding the dog or deciding what to order for lunch or hopping on a phone call really quickly and then getting back into your work. It's all about I'm carving out two hours to focus on this one thing, which might be coming up with ideas for blog posts mm -hmm. or researching this podcast I want to make or something else. So that's what deep work is. And it truly, our brain works in a different way when we give ourselves time to drop into deep work. So some strategies for getting into deep work and for allowing yourself to have those intuitive downloads, which are like, ugh, just like what makes work worth working on? First, obviously, is like carving out the time, which I don't think most people do. I mean, like I'm temporally optimistic, I would say. I'm like, oh, I can totally finish that thing in 30 minutes. No, I can't. Mm -hmm. It's so easy to say yes to urgent requests or to say, yeah, sure, I can take that time because technically I don't have anything scheduled. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. It's hard to make those boundaries. Yeah. It's also another way of procrastinating. Oh, mm -hmm. mm -hmm. yeah, true. Mm -hmm. Very good point. Hold yeah. that thought. Yeah. Hold the thought. Put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think generally giving yourself two to three hours of time is what you need for deep work. Mm -hmm. Less than that, you really can't drop in to deep work. There, um, this concept is popularized by Cal Newport in his book, Deep Work. And he really says like two, two hours minimum. You can't get into deep work more in less than that. I usually feel like I hit my stride right at two hours. Same. So I'm like, I got to keep going. Same. Or I feel a little bit like, mm, right. If I can't. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like premature to like yeah. pull, pull out. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> balls, so yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, there's definitely like I'm a... Yeah, a vagina version of that. I have no idea what it's called, though. But yes, that. <laughs> yeah, and I think that that's tough because, like, you have to be accountable. You have to be accountable to yourself. You can't respond to other things. You can't, like, punt your focus to another 
like, I don't know, your phone, texting, whatever it might be, you have to like really respect that time and honestly like respect the work. Mm. You don't have to be like so precious about it. No, but. yeah, but it is, it's sacred. It's sacred work. I mean, yeah. you set out to do something that is important to your business or your life or just feels like next steps. If something, I always feel like you honor the ideas that come to you, right? Because mm. not only the work that comes out of that, but the ideas themselves, I think are channels, right? It all comes from somewhere that's connected to us that we're intrinsically connected to, but but it's also outside of, of us because we're here for each other, a part of a greater ecosystem. And I think we're all kind of here to fulfill those ideas and that those creative thoughts. So, yeah, I think it is. There is something that's very sacred to it. Again, not to like put a whole lot of pressure on it, but that's what you do. <laughs> it's, like it's deep, but it ain't that deep, but it's deep. Yeah, but it's deep. It's deep. <laughs> but it's but deep, it but it's not too much, it's but it's a little deep. <laughs> a little bit. Just a tiny bit. Yeah. Just the tip. Yeah, just the tip. We've been talking about like the right left brain. Less okay. brainy things yeah. and sort of a right brain, more intuitive, maybe more mm -hmm. esoteric perspective on getting into deep work is actually using your human design type and like your energy type, mm -hmm. because there are five energy types, projectors, manifestors, manifesting generators, generators and reflectors. And each of them has their own strategy for success when it comes to work. But also like depending on your entire human design chart, that can really tell you how to get focused. Yeah. I'm an MG. Manifesting generator. And Janelle, yeah. what are you? I'm a generator. And I'm a projector. And Stacy's a projector too. Ooh. Oh, yeah. But I do know as a generator, I have like a heavy thought center. So like things are always coming through because I always want to be generating. And I think for me, I have to interrupt sometimes or stop the the thoughts that are coming through or the ideas that I have or the things that I want to be creating. And this is also, I think, a little bit of an ADHD thing. But having something that I can listen to in the background helps me kind of interrupt that flow of energy mm. that's always coming through. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people can't do like words, but I have to be listening to a podcast or have something on the television going on in the background. Music is a little different because I always want to move to the music. Mm -hmm. But having something like interrupt that those thoughts is really helpful for me. What that's about cool. to-do list? A to-do list I do every single day. Oh, nice. Yep. So Monday, you're a I'll, classic generator, dude. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Okay, well, thank you. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I do. I have to do a to do list every single day. So Wallace and Michelle mentioned the Monday Hour One that we do every Monday, and that's lovely. But a lot of the time, when we have our all hands meeting, um, we talk about like our top threes of the week and. It's so funny. I think when we first started it, we, there, everybody at some point would be like, I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm doing that. And we're like, obviously, th there are other things that we do other than three things of the week. But we learn to prioritize those top three. Um, and so I have to additionally create a to do list for myself in the morning and bringing it back to Monday hour one. Supo, but to do lists are like God sent to me. So it just feels good to check something off physically of a piece of paper. Mm. Yeah. Generators and projectors are really great co-working buddies and being in the same space can be really helpful because projectors can be like high level, what's important, what's the priority? And then generators can vibe off that energy and be like, got it. Okay, what are the top three things on my to-do list? Everything else can like fall underneath that or here are the big chunks of my to-do list that I need to do and the sort of assorted tasks that go with those big things that I need to check off my list. But once a generator writes a list, kind of like what you were saying about blocking out the extra stuff that comes in, it's almost like set your list in stone, decide that that's what you're going to do today. Don't keep adding things to it. Add new things to the next day that can help you get more done and stay on the right track as opposed to the shadow side of generator. From what I understand is just writing an endless to do list mm -hmm. and having everything be the same priority. Which means that, you know, going to FedEx is as important as cashing that check that needs to be cashed immediately. And that's where generators get off track. 
and get overwhelmed too. That's why I, I really do love Monday Hour One and the tools that were introduced or the ways that you can kind of categorize your tasks in mm-hmm. Monday Hour One. Because mm-hmm. I think before that was one of my issues is everything was a priority or mm-hmm. right. nothing was a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, so everything was just a thing to do. And I would exert or felt like I had to exert the exact same amount of energy to everything because I, I didn't make it clear for myself. And Monday Hour One now really does help even when I'm not taking something off of my to-do list in Monday Hour One and putting it on paper, I get really clear about how much of a priority is this? How much energy of mine am I going to have to utilize to get this done? And yeah, that was that was a huge sort of turning point for me in, in getting work done and being able to feel accomplished and productive throughout my day. What about you, Wallace? Oh, I identify with a lot of what you said, but it's not all the time because I'm a manifesting generator. In terms of deep work, though, I really resonate with the fact that generally context switching can happen within certain time blocks. So Mm -hmm. if I have something that I really need to do deep work on, I can do it for three hours, but I actually can't do it for more. I have to do something else yeah. after. Yeah. It's really hard for me to spend full day on something or else I'm just like, I have no thoughts. Mm-hmm. I have no ideas. I'm not. That's so MG. Present. Yeah. You need choices. You yeah. need to be able to, to like know that there's an end in sight almost and be like, I'm bored with this pot. Let me go yeah. into the next pot. Yeah. A hundred percent. And so knowing that about myself means that I know that I can get a lot of different types of things potentially done in one day or like two big tasks if I plan properly. I also do need things to pick from. Mm -hmm. I do really need options like either or. That's why one of my most loathed question is when someone's like, what's your favorite fill in the blank? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, give me some context. Give me some parameters. Or even like, what do you want to eat for dinner? Yeah. Yeah. It's like, well, what? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like so, no, it needs to be like, do you want Mexican food or yeah. do you yes. want do you want Chinese food? And exactly. then you might the answer might be no, right. but at yeah. least you both. got some clarity because you can compare. Exactly. Yeah. So knowing those two things and remembering them can really help me. Yeah. That's why I think why we work so well together because mm-hmm. I'm a projector and you're an MG mm-hmm. and obviously Janelle, we work so well together. <laughs> notch. But because I'll I'll be like, okay, where do you want to start? This or this? Yeah, because <laughs> I'm like, these are the two things we need to get or the three things we need yeah. to get done. So which yeah. one do you want to start with? Yeah. And I'm like, OK. Yeah. And then you're like, you can yeah. like whip everything out. Yeah. I'm like, OK, cool. <laughs> Great. <laughs> you do that. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Yeah. And then projectors. Hello, friends. Hello, friends without motors. We got to draft off other people's energy, which is, I think, why a lot of projectors felt like in this pandemic maybe they were very refreshed by being at home and like not having to work with other people and not being on another person's timeline but we can also be like a little not lazy but it can it can be like sluggish to get going Hmm. and I think when you don't almost have that like lightning strike of like getting into deep work almost like the energetic wave to get into deep work it can feel like a struggle Mm -hmm. and you never really land there and it can be really helpful to get into a co-working space that's quiet with a generator or a manifesting generator or even a manifester to help almost kickstart that deep work session for yourself Mm -hmm. I know it really helps me so manifestors and reflectors are special because they're a bit more rare than the rest of us. Oops, right. Manifestors, they have repellent energy, but they're also like the ultimate entrepreneurs. They're like the all-in-one. They're like the pert plus, mm. you know, they do everything. And because you're good at everything as a manifester, you have, your gut is going to tell you to jump from, from thing to thing to thing to thing to thing to thing without stopping. So giving yourself deep work to just truly focus and almost think about fine-tuning your tool, your like, your, your skill, in two hours, three hours is going to be like 
incredible for for you, but also hard. It's not like how they naturally want to work. And that's why pairing up with a projector can be really nice. Manifestors and projectors work really well together because projectors won't be exhausted by manifestors or feel repelled by them. And they'll also be able to tell a manifestor, like, I think this is where you should start. Or like, this is what you should focus on. Mm. And jump from there. And then reflectors are their own unique, special little beings because they really pick up and reflect back whatever they're around. So depending on what you need, if you want to be like deeply focused and see from that bird's eye view, hang out with projectors. If you want to like bang out your to-do list, hang out with generators. If you want to be the Jack or Jill of all trades, like hang out with MGs. Like if you want to just vibe on big entrepreneur energy, hang out with manifestors. But reflectors can really like they can kind of flow between all the parts, which is cool. I would like to know more reflectors. Yeah. Same. I know they're very they're rare. Just, yeah. yeah. And I mean, also good and bad because who they surround themselves, not bad, but like who you, you have to be really careful who you yeah. surround yourself mm. with. Yeah. Because if you're around someone who's just like chaotic mess, who's mm. always jumping from thing to thing to thing and it like mm. feels like they're procrastinating all the time and constantly behind, like you're going to see that you're going to reflect that too. Like mm. your life will look like that too. I think the first thing, though, is like, what is procrastination? If I feel like when we hear that word, it feels so dirty. I mean, we all want, 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 right? Like, <laughs> that's the it's this like drudge, this like, oh, huge gray cloud that sits over our heads. And oftentimes people feel like when they're procrastinating that there's actually something wrong with them and that they are not capable of doing the thing or that like they've fallen out of love with it. Right. right. Like I had like they make meaning of it. Yeah. Like, exactly. Oh, I'm not doing this thing. And that must mean that I'm not on my path. Yeah. Or, like it, I'm not meant to do it. Exactly. Exactly. Which is such a scary and dangerous thought. And it's also completely the opposite of the truth. I watched this TED talk with this uh, doctor and, and he talks a lot about the art of procrastination. Not the art. Of, if you've ever waited until <laughs> yeah, 12 hours before an essay, a thesis eventually. was due. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> One day. <laughs> a lot of art is made while procrastinating it's very true but I really liked he created sort of a new a framework around procrastination a new idea that it's actually not something that sign signals that there's something wrong with us or that we're not capable of doing the thing instead it is the um, way for us to protect ourselves against failure and mm -hmm. the outcome of what failing looks like he talks a lot about this thing called the self-worth theory of achievement motivation, which basically is defined as the need to be seen as capable, competent, mm. and able. And so I, when I think about that in the context of my own life, I haven't necessarily always been in spaces where other people outside of myself have like put a pressure on me to achieve at a high level, but I put that pressure on myself. And so oftentimes when I find myself procrastinating, it it comes down to this like blend of this like like really strong will and desire to do something mm -hmm. and the fear of failing at it mm -hmm. or maybe the fear of like succeeding at it although it's more so failing mm -hmm. most of the time yeah. for me and uh and and it cripples me it stops me from doing it it really has nothing to do with me not being able to to do it i just i don't want to fail i don't want to look bad i don't want to look stupid i don't want to look incompetent and so, yeah, I think a lot of people deal with that and don't understand what exactly it is they're dealing with. And so we have to kind of learn how to step outside of the procrastination itself and realize we want to do this thing. I think one of the things that helps reframe that idea or one of the, the ways that you can come out of that procrastination is remembering procrastination is a way that we protect ourselves. Thank you so much for listening and checking out all of these snippets from our top episodes. 
You can find the links to those episodes in the show notes. And we will be back next week with another episode in our series called Survival Kit, talking about burnout, how to come back from it, how to avoid it before the holidays, especially working as a solopreneur. So we look forward to seeing you next week. Thanks for tuning in. And we always appreciate so, so much if you share this podcast with friends or leave us a very kind five-star review on Apple Podcasts or you could hit five stars on Spotify. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you soon. Bye.